0: Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, November 22nd by Dr. Archie Spencer and is the 10th message in our Fall 2020 sermon series entitled, God of Wonder. Check out SardisFellowship.com for more information about our church. Good morning. Today, Archie Spencer is going to be sharing with us God's Word. Now, Archie is a professor of theology at Acts Seminary, and that's the seminary that our denomination, our Fellowship Baptist Churches, are a part of. It's called Northwest Baptist Seminary. Uh, I went to school there, and presently, Rob Schoff and and Pastor Tim, uh, they're both going to school there to get their master's degrees. Archie has been on both sides of the equation of being a teacher on the academic side and also being a pastor in pastoral life. So he knows both sides very well. Uh, He was a pastor for 15 years prior to becoming a seminary professor. He's married to Shelley, and they have two grown children and three very adored grandchildren. Archie has served at our church for a number of years, uh, mostly in our area of men's ministry, but always willing to use the gift that God has given him for teaching as he's shared many times with our congregation in various ways. Now, back in September, Archie heard that we were going to be doing the God of wonder sermon series that we're in right now. And he invited me to come and join in on one of his classes online where he was teaching a section on the doctrine of God. You know, i marveled at his ability to, to share the wisdom and the depth of his understanding of who God is. And we're going to get a taste of that this morning. I have a deep appreciation for both Archie's head and his heart. Um, he is dedicated and has dedicated his life to learning and to teaching who God is and his word. But it's not just academic for Archie. It's in his heart. He cares about the people of God and all people to know who God is and to be in right relationship with him and to worship him and to serve him as their Lord. And so you're going to get a bit of a taste of that today in the message that he brings. It's coming from Isaiah chapter 40 and Archie is asked if I would read the entire chapter of Isaiah 40. Now you need to know that this is a great chapter, but it's also a long chapter. So I invite you to join me as we read God's word to us today. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 comfort, comfort. My people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a, on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales? And the hills in a balance. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know, have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He who sits above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground Then he blows on them, and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord?
1: Well, welcome uh, to the Sunday morning service Uh, for those of you who are joining us online today, and I hope that you followed closely as uh, the passage from Isaiah chapter 40 was read. Uh, And so without further ado, because time is limited today, I want to uh, get right into the message. The title of my message today is called The Reality of God in a Post-God World. I know that some months ago, your pastor, Pastor Rod, uh, undertook to do a series on uh, the person and action of God in the world. And I am sure that he has brought you up to speed on many things with respect to uh, the being and existence and action of God. I think this theme is particularly important for our time. And if there's any passage that, for me, summarizes the essence of what the biblical conception of God is. It is Isaiah chapter 40, uh, the whole chapter. And so I won't be doing a full exposition of Isaiah chapter 40 today, but I will be reflecting on it from time to time as I try to answer uh, the question about how we should understand God in a world that has almost completely forgotten him, but now finds itself in dire need of divine deliverance. And uh, the circumstances, of course, that face us in the world today, I don't have to remind you of. Um, It is really quite a a set of circumstances that we face. You think of south of the border and the turmoil going on there. When you think of COVID-19, you think of uh, the situation in Europe, the world economies. Everything is coming to a head, it seems. It's almost like a perfect storm. And I'm sure, that one of the most important questions we are asking ourselves in this time is, where, indeed, is God in this picture? And I, today, want to help you understand that he has gone nowhere, and that, indeed, he's very much present with us, and will continue to be with us throughout this whole process that we are now facing. The scriptures tell us that uh, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And twice in this passage, uh, in Isaiah, we were uh, told and asked the question in verse 18 and verse 25, to whom will you compare God? And those two statements are really the bookends that help us understand the nature of the circumstances that we face uh, in our time with respect to the being and existence of God. The story begins really with Nietzsche's story of the madman. Nietzsche recounts the uh, story of an old man who uh, comes down through a German village one day, waving his finger at the people saying, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And the people were uh, uh, teasing him and cajoling him and telling him, maybe he's gone on a vacation. Maybe he has left. Maybe he is somewhere off doing something else. And then he jumped into their midst and transfixed their gaze and said, where is God? He said, I will tell you where he is. God is dead, and you have killed him. What will you do now that the sun has been severed from its earth? What will you do now that the stench of the divine putrefaction is in your nostrils? What will you do now that the blood of the divine is on your knives? And he went throughout the countryside and into all the churches announcing this requiem day, this death of God. And got thrown out, of course, every single time. And in the last church, he gets thrown out. He stands up, dusts himself off and says, it's too soon yet for this message. But what are these churches now if they are not merely the sepulchers of God? Well, I'm here to say today that the death of God has been greatly overstated. That whatever we may say about churches being the tombs and sepulchres of God, nevertheless, God is very real. He's very present in the world. And he wants to undertake for us in every way. The problem is for us, we became enamored in this life with the idea that perhaps we could live life without God the roots of late modern atheism of course lie in what was called the enlightenment period in the 18th and 19th century and i don't have time to unpack that for you today except to say that it's summarized by the idea that it is an attempt on the part of humanity to think ourselves and our existence apart from god and as this idea took root in modern western society increasingly governments and individuals and educational institutions became overwhelmed with the idea that perhaps we now have to live life without reference to God. And so forms of agnosticism and atheism and uh, what I call practical atheism took root in Western society. And God was not only considered to be dead, but he was also forgotten about. The forgottenness of God is a very real reality in our time. So whether or not today we uh, live our life uh, with uh, in the thought uh, pattern of God, it's not a question for us. God exists. He is real. He is with us. And he wants to undertake for us in this time. So where, whatever cloak atheism wears today, uh, whether it's it's outright intellectual atheism, or uh, the I don't know for sure if God exists kind of agnosticism, or the I know God exists but I'm going to live as if He didn't exist practical atheism, however we look at it today, we need to reinvoke the biblical concept of God. And so I want to share with you, on the basis of this passage in Isaiah, three fundamental realities that face us, three questions that we have to ask, if you will, in order to recover a conception of God today that will enable people to grasp uh, the depth of his love and care for his creation. The first thing to say is simply this, we need to recover a biblical concept of God. And nowhere uh, would I go first above all other passages of scripture than Isaiah chapter 40. And two times in this passage we are asked the question, in verse 18 and verse 25, to whom then will you liken God? Or uh, in verse uh, 25, to whom then will you liken me, says God, uh, that I should be his or her equal? And of course the answer to that question is there is no comparable reality to the reality of God. The one thing about this whole passage of Scripture that you begin to realize from verses 12 all the way through to verse 26 is that God is quite other than we are. He is quite himself. He is quite God without us. He does not need us to be God. He does not need his creation to be God, but that he is God in and related to his creation because in the freedom of his love, he has chosen to do so. So the very first conception that we need to recover in the modern world today, regardless of the desire and the need to feel God's nearness is the fact that God is other, that God is above his creation, that he was before his creation, he will be after his creation, and that his creation only exists in and through his action in the world. There is indeed nobody who can compare with God. And what this passage is saying to us in terms of the comparability of God is simply this, that God was the one who laid the foundations of the earth. God was the one who flung the stars into space. God was the one who numbered the sands of the seas. God was the one who ordered the rotations of the planets. God was the one who brought out of nothing, into existence, everything, and will oversee the passing of all, if that is his will and way. That God was before, he will be after, he is in and through and all over creation. So there is never a time, never a place, <coughs> never an understanding that is bereft of God's actual being, that is empty of God. God fills the universe with the fullness of his reality. He is absolutely beyond the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord of glory, the one who sits, as as, uh, Isaiah tells us, enthroned above the heavens. So there is no other one but God. He is incomparable. And what this is saying to us from this passage in Isaiah is simply here. All other attempts to displace God, whether they are attempts to create idols within ourselves, or whether they are attempts to create idols on national levels or uh, some other religious reality, these are all attempts that not only falsify the nature of God's relation to his creation, but they falsify our own self-understanding because it is God who gives us that fundamental reality. Now, while I say in this passage that we must start from the otherness of God, there is another principle that is rooted in the very being and action of God that is also equally important, and that is the nearness of God. If you read the first 12 or the first 11 verses, what are they? They are verses that are announcing to Judah, who is facing, by the way, the potential of exile in Babylon, uh, the loss of its center of worship, the loss of its political life, the loss of its economic life. It is facing oblivion, almost in terms that we are facing certain circumstances that threaten our existence today. But in the face of all that, God comes to them and He says, I will care for you like, uh, like I care for a you, a nursing lamb with a you. I will be gentle with you. I will uphold you. I will be on your side and on your behalf. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. His arm will gather the lambs together and carry them in his bosom. So God is not only absolutely other. He is not only the God of all creation, the God who is beyond creation, but he is the God who is in and with creation, sustaining it, holding it up, seeing it through to its proper end and uh, desire and design according to his creative will. There is no place in heaven that is without God. There is no place in creation that is without God. God superintends in every sense of the word. And just as in himself, he is far from us, different than us, absolutely other than us. Nevertheless, In the tenderness of his love and mercy and will, he chooses to be one with us, to come near to us, to be in creation with us. You see this uh, as bookends, really, of this whole passage in Isaiah chapter 40, the first, 12, the first 11 verses are all about the nearness of God. And then verses 27 to the end of the chapter, you know, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Which is, by the way, equivalent to saying God is dead. He doesn't care about my circumstance. And the justice do me escapes me, uh, my notice uh, um, of my God. Uh, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. They will walk and not become faint. So the the very essence of God's being is not just that he is the Lord of all creation who is absolutely distinct and incomparable With all other reality, he nevertheless is the Lord who in the freedom of his love undertakes to create an object of his love. And then not only to create the object of his love, but in that love come in and uphold them in his hands, sustain them in their life, see them through to the purpose that he intends for him. There is no reality that faces us today that is beyond the grasp and the care, and the love, and the upholding of the God who is near to us. So God is other than us, but he is near to us. Now this is the biblical picture of God that we need to carry everywhere we go today. For those who lose hope that God is uh, anywhere near them in their circumstances, they need to understand that they are held in the hand of God. For those who in their uh, pride uh, decide that God doesn't matter and that he doesn't exist, they need to understand that he's still God without them. And for those of us who know that he is with us and near us, we need to live in that reality and remind one another every single day of that reality. So the first thing we need to do, folks, is to recover this biblical conception of God's otherness and nearness in unity, so that we can understand him as the Lord of creation and yet the one who sustains us in it all. But not only this, we uh, have to understand that we need to think about God properly. We need to consider him. We need to meditate upon his being. One of the reasons why western society has fallen into atheism or agnosticism the loss of any kind of knowledge of god the forgetfulness of god if you will is because we have turned our minds away from him we no longer consider that reality as being important to our lives but now now that we're faced with multiple threats of our non-existence now we are coming back to the realization that we need God. The very first thing you need to understand is where God comes from. God does not come from you or I. God does not come from his creation. He is not dependent on you or I. He is not dependent upon his creation. He's not dependent even upon any particular theology. He is dependent upon himself. God comes from God. God is his own origin. And this is important for us to think about and meditate upon because it reminds us of a couple of things. Number one, it reminds us daily of the fact that regardless of sometimes uh, living like uh, we assume uh, it is the case, we are not God. And he is not molded or shaped by us. He can never be an object of our uh, uh, idolatrous ways of thinking. He can only ever be himself, free in himself. And therefore, when we think of how he exists and how he is in himself, his essential being, we need to understand that his existence is qualitatively different from ours. Whereas he comes from himself, our existence depends upon him You and I depend upon him for the first breath of our life that we take. We depend upon him for the last breath of our life that we take. We depend upon him for the clothes on our back, for the shoes on our feet, for the thoughts in our mind. We depend upon God for the sum totality of the reality of our life. And you and I are never given the freedom to create our own reality on that level. God is the one who creates us and sustains us and cares for us, and is near to us like a brother, the scripture says. We need to once again, therefore, understand that the freedom and sovereignty of God are unassailable. I know that in modern Christianity and many circles today that that is a very unpopular message. But folks, any God who is not free in himself is not God. He is only some figment of our imagination. Perhaps he might be some divinized conception of being with a little extra added. Or perhaps it's just that we ourselves would like to be God, so we remake him over into our own image. No, all of the qualities of God's being. All of his attributes, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his love, his faithfulness, his goodness, and the list goes on and on and on. All of these speak to a quality of his being that is far above our being. A reality that determines us in our essence. The nature of the being that creates and sustains the whole of the universe. God is the god of creation as such we call him father and in that sense he is a relational god You see, that's the beauty of this passage as it moves in the first uh, uh, 11 verses uh, to uh, uh, an expression of God's love and care for Jacob, for for Judah, uh, for the nation that faces exile, and his promise at the end in verses 27 and following to sustain her, to uphold her, even when she's faint, even when she's weak, she will be borne up on wings like eagles because This God who is free in himself, who is sovereign, is nevertheless the God who understands and knows our circumstances and meets us where we live and knows how we suffer and is acquainted with our suffering in a very deep and personal way. As a matter of fact, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God is very much a personal God. He is a God who relates to his creation. He's not just a remote God. He's not a prisoner of his own glory. He's not living in splendid isolation from the rest of reality. Indeed, this would not be The God who makes himself known as the Lord and sovereign creator of the universe, but nevertheless the one who meets that universe in its most intimate place in its humanity. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God whom we should think about. And we should dispel ourselves of any notion of any lesser God. And this is the time when we face these circumstances to come back to the center in God's being and to consider ourselves in the, his, uh, in the light of his reality and to live our life according to that. You see, God in his own life is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternal relation. And in that relatedness, he uh, counsels among himself to include within him the human, the creation. And in that moment, he loves it. He gives itself, himself to it, draws it into his being, and communicates and relates. So the other th- principle that we need to get a hold of today is the nature of uh, God as a person. And with this point I will finish. God is a personal God. Now here's the thing we need to remember. Our access to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as an eternal relation is given to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How do we know on the basis of the Isaiahic passage that we read that indeed God is with us in this creation? That God undertakes for us in our circumstances. Well because we are told. That in the word. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only one from the father. Full of grace and truth. In verse 18 of John 1 says. No one has seen the father at any time. But the only unique one. From the father. He has And the tense of the Greek here is past perfect. It means completely made him known unto us. So the fullness of the revelation of God's being, who nevertheless being free in himself and transcendent and over and above the world, relates to us in this person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth as God and as man, takes upon himself flesh for our sake, relates to our suffering, enters into our hearts and minds, takes upon himself sin, even though he was in his life sinless. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So as you study the biblical concept of God, You need to pay particular attention to Jesus who gives us the fullness of the relation within the Godhead eternally as he comes to us as father, the one from whom creation not only comes, but the one who also sustains it, who uh, provides for it, who will see it through to its consummation and purpose and goal and end. This is the God that we serve. We also know, uh, as we look at Jesus, who the Spirit is. The one who, uh, after the Son and the Father sends him, comes and takes the work of the Son and applies it to our life in substantial ways. Redeeming us from inside so that even when we do not know how to pray as we ought, he intercedes for us uh, on our behalf with groanings that are too deep for words. The Spirit reveals to us the inner life of God that wants to include us in him. And so we live that relational life in relation to God the Father and God the Spirit and of course God the Son who in his divinity and his humanity so fully became God for man and man for God that he could bring all reality into himself define not only who God was for us but who we were for ourselves. And you know, folks, there is no knowledge of self without the knowledge of God. Calvin was very wise when he said the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self must be held together. And indeed, as we come to this knowledge of ourselves through our knowledge of God, as we indeed enter into the same kind of relationship That's expressed in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And the other commandment that is as Jesus says like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the double commandment of love is the fullness of the expression of the God that we need in the here and now. My heart goes out to the many lonely. To the people who are either in isolation because of contact with COVID-19 or are in isolation because of their vulnerabilities or are in isolation because they've chosen in their own minds to run away in this circumstance. I'm here to say to you that the love of God and the love of neighbor can roll over any virus, anytime. There is no virus that can touch relational love to love him, to know him, to serve him. That is the goal for us in respect to the being and existence of God. If you really want to pursue God in his personal relational reality, you will come to know him personally. You will share him with your loved ones and with your friends and with your neighbors. And you will love him with your whole heart, for in that reality is the reality of God. So no matter what the world tells you, folks, we do not live in a world without God. We live in a world shot through with the divine, denying the reality of God does not make it so. I love that t-shirt I saw at one point. I did see a t-shirt, God is dead, Nietzsche, you know, and then another t-shirt, Nietzsche's dead, God, you know. (laughs) It's an interesting uh, juxtaposition. The final word on God is never spoken by a human. It's spoken by God himself. Acknowledging God's reality is the beginning of wisdom. To deny the reality of God is to consign the world to hopelessness and despair and we do not serve such a God the reality of God indeed is the ground that gives
0: meaning to all of life God bless you thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast for more information on Sardis Fellowship please check out sardisfellowship.com